Good morning. This morning's reading is from Matthew 11, 2 through 11. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who f- wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. James 5, 7 through 10. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer's farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crops, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ray. Let's pray again. Lord, um, thank you that you are present with us to teach us and that you speak through your word today. So, Lord, unstop our ears to hear the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. A man was locked in prison, languishing in a gloomy cell. He was hungry and cold. I don't know exactly how long he had been there, but he was beginning to lose hope. And what chafed him the most was that he had committed no crime. Quite the opposite. He was a a good man, a a righteous man, a godly man, a person of deep integrity and faith. Uh, He was actually a preacher. um, And under his ministry, hundreds, if not thousands, had turned their hearts to God. Um, But the authoritarian ruler in his land perceived him as a threat and so without a trial and without bail he he locked him in jail Um, and now this man who had led so many to God and inspired trust in so many others inspired so many others to trust God was himself beginning to wonder if he had gotten it wrong like did I misunderstand my calling or did I uh, uh, you know Maybe, maybe Jesus isn't strong enough to help me. Now, if you haven't figured it out, the man I'm talking about is John the Baptist. In our reading in Matthew today, we read that he is in prison. As Jesus was beginning his ministry, King Herod um, arrested John because he spoke out against Herod's unlawful marriage and locked him up. Um, And so John is hearing the reports of all these miracles that Jesus is doing, and yet there he sits in prison. 
And so he sent messengers to Jesus to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Now, I hear a note of um, disappointment in that question. Maybe even despair. Here's the man whose whole career was to prepare the way for the Messiah and to, to see who the Messiah was and to say, look, he... Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. John had the the spiritual sight to identify Jesus as the Messiah. He heralded his ministry. He turned many to the Lord. And yet, the Messiah was not getting him out of prison. The Messiah was not overthrowing the king and the the, the dictator, the tyrant who had him in jail. The, The Messiah was not bringing the kingdom of God to earth as far as he could tell. So maybe he had gotten it wrong. Uh, To paraphrase the line from the classic movie, The Princess Bride, uh, John uh, is wondering if he should get used to disappointment. You know, get used to disappointment. Well, we're going to come back to John in a little while, but we can all identify can we not, with the way he was feeling? If you have believed in God long enough, you have been disappointed by God. You've had, you know, the sadness that life has dished out to you has worn you down. You have cried tears of grief, if not despair. Um, And after enough of those sad things, a, a breakup, a death in the family, a disease, a layoff, a rocky marriage, a bout with depression, or maybe all of those things, you begin to say, I guess I should just get used to disappointment because this is the way it is, right? Like John in prison, you think, I, I just don't want to get my hopes up, so if I expect um, disappointment, it won't hurt as much. Like John said, Jesus, just let me know if you really are the Messiah because I can't deal with the disappointment if I think you are. Whatever prison of disappointment or sadness you are in today, I bring you good news. I come on the authority of God's word and tell you to get used to joy. Get used to joy. In the kingdom of God, joy is more real than sorrow. Your tears are numbered. Your sighs are numbered. But joy is everlasting. There is a day coming, as we read in Isaiah, when everlasting joy will crown our heads. Gladness and joy will overtake us and sorrow and sighing will flee away. You can count on that. You can expect that. And so right now, we need to get used to joy. Amen? How do we do this? Well, first of all, how do we know this? Exhibit A is the passage we read in Isaiah chapter 35. Now, just for some context, the prophet Isaiah wrote to the people of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel that had split, And they were on the cusp of the greatest disappointment in their history, called the exile. So the world superpower at that day, Babylon, uh, wanted Jerusalem and wanted its people. 
And so they laid siege, uh, a nine-year siege against Jerusalem. Eventually, they broke through the walls, they'd ransacked and destroyed everything, and they carted away most of the people. And so the people um, lost their homes, they lost their crops, they lost their livelihoods, their way of life, their national identity, their freedom, their temple, their religion. They even wondered if they had lost God. And to make matters worse, as Isaiah says, not in this chapter, but before, this is all going to happen because of their stubborn, rebellious hearts. This is God's judgment. But in the middle of that judgment, Isaiah gives us this vision of hope, of the joy that is to come for those who trust God. Isaiah points to a day when desolation and sorrow and sadness will give way to laughter and joy. Even today, uh, the Judean desert, which is an area south and west of the Dead Sea in Israel, um, is a desolate, rugged wilderness. Uh, Rugged mountains, no apparent signs of life. The region only gets... uh, up to four inches of rain per year, which is less than half of what the desert state of Nevada gets per year. So it's a very uh, dry place. But occasionally, a rainstorm comes. And when it does, there's a miraculous transformation. Overnight, the the brown hills go from brown to green, covered with grasses and wildflowers. And the ravines that were bone dry become floods and streams of water. That's what Isaiah is building his, his prophecy on, is that image where these living things, these grasses and crocuses and lilies that had lay dormant for months or years suddenly spring up. And there's a total uh, 180 degree change. And in the same way, Isaiah says, our wilderness of disappointment and sadness and sorrow will transform into joy. Isaiah then brings us to this scene where those who were blind have their sight instantly restored and those who uh, could not speak begin shouting for joy and the disabled jump out of their wheelchairs and begin dancing. And as he continues describing that day, we learn the reason for all this joy. In chapter 9, God, uh, verse 9, God will lead his people home. This whole scene is a return from exile or a new exodus, another exodus. Look at verse 9. It says, only the redeemed will walk there and those the Lord has rescued will return They will enter Zion, which is Jerusalem, with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Isaiah is picturing not the kind of transformation um, of the Judean mountains, which, uh, uh, you know, grows green and then dies again, but everlasting joy, a party that never ends. If that is the future reality of the kingdom of God, we need to expect that. We need to get used to that. 
a preaching mentor of mine um, out in Illinois named Kevin Miller recently used an analogy that I found super helpful. He said that with many of these prophecies in Isaiah and others, um, we need to read them with kind of bifocal lenses. So through the top part of the lens, we can read and see the distant fulfillment that is coming. And surely this is a picture of uh, uh, Jesus' reign on earth when he returns, when all things are made new, you know, everlasting joy. But we can also look at this passage through the lower half of the lens and see something a bit closer. We can see some things that maybe have already been fulfilled or are being fulfilled. Like what? Well, let's go back to John in prison. He said, uh, Jesus, are you the one to come or should we expect someone else? And here's the answer Jesus sent back. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those that have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Jesus certainly has Isaiah 35 in mind when he, when he says this. It's as if he's saying, am I the Messiah? John, you tell me. Uh, I am making the blind see. I am making the lame walk. I am making the deaf hear. I'm even raising the dead. The kingdom is dawning. Something brand new is happening. He goes on to tell the crowd around him, basically, John was the greatest and the last in the line of prophets, like Isaiah, who anticipated the Messiah, who pointed ahead. But now... The kingdom is here. We're in a new reality. We're in a brand new era of, of salvation history. And so the least of those in the kingdom will be greater than the, great, the, than the greatest prophet before because we can experience the reality of what they preached about. We're in it. I don't think we fully appreciate this. We live at a time when the gospel is being preached, the Messiah has come, his saving power is at work all over the world, and we get to share in the kingdom of God on earth before it comes in full. Um, Jesus literally healed the blind and the deaf and the lame, right? We can read about that in the Bible, but those miracles pointed to something greater, a greater transformation that Jesus came to bring. You see, by the, the recreating power of the Holy Spirit, lives are changed. People whose lives are utter wilderness, utter desolation, spring with new life, where where, where sin, uh, the sin that blinds our eyes is taken away and our eyes are opened. The light turns on for people. We see this happening everywhere the gospel is preached. Lord willing, we see it happening here. We're not too close to realize that Jesus is doing things. His Holy Spirit is bringing streams of water in the desert. Just like he said, anyone who comes to me, um, will never be thirsty. Out of him will flow streams of living water. 
It's here. You see, for those who know Jesus, joy is more real than sadness. Our tears may be in the ounces, but your joy will be measured in the oceans. So, we better get used to it. I want to spend a few minutes now talking about how we can get used to joy. If this is really true, how do we live like this is true? Let me start with a question. Are you a more joyful person than you were before you knew Jesus? For some of you, it's a clear yes. Some of you don't really remember when you first came to know Jesus. And so, are you a more joyful person this year than last year? Is is the joy of the Lord growing in you? Following Jesus is supposed to be enjoyable. (laughs) We're supposed to be happy people. If our Christianity is making us dull, dreary, rigid, boring, gloomy people, we are doing it all wrong. (laughs) Because Jesus is the king of joy. Psalm 146, as we read, said, Blessed, which means happy, are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord their God. This is, a, this is the way of happiness, of joy. Now, here's, here's one problem we face. We are all tempted at times to find substitutes for the joy of the Lord. We all do things, we feel the sadness of life, and we reach for things to numb the pain, to numb the sadness. We all do this. It could be drinking too much alcohol, using drugs, overeating, watching too much TV, shopping, overworking. We use these things like Novocaine for the soul. The problem is those things, far from making it better, will actually diminish and blunt our capacity for true joy, for the joy that Jesus brings. What we need instead is, instead of numbing our souls to to deal with the sadness, we need to go to Jesus, the source of joy. Sometimes this takes effort. Sometimes it's a fight. James reminds us that when we are suffering, we need to practice patience. Patience. The ability to hold on to something over a long period of time when it's hard like endurance. We need to hang on and remember that Jesus will come again. Sorrow does have a limit. Jesus will bring you through whatever sorrow or disappointment you're in right now. Sometimes in, th- in the thick of life, it can be hard to believe that. And so that's one reason we come together, to encourage one another, right? To encourage one another. We come and worship and remind ourselves of what is true. We give each other hugs. We laugh. We talk. We talk about Jesus. That's why Isaiah says we need to encourage one another. In that passage, verses 3 and 4 say, Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong. Do not fear. We come together and worship to do that. 
to strengthen feeble hands so we can grasp the truth, to give strength to knocking knees so that we can stand firm on the promises of God, to encourage one another. We need to remind each other that even though sadness is real now, joy is more lasting. Joy is where it's at. And worshiping together, as wonderful as it is to worship together every Sunday and necessary to worship together, it's not the only way to train ourselves for joy. With the Spirit in us, we can take part in making deserts gardens here and now. Feast with family and friends. Decorate for Christmas. Laugh. Put up lights. Give a gift that brings someone joy. Smile at a stranger. Plant flowers. Make music. Dance. Cook a gourmet meal. Sew or knit or paint or build something beautiful just because. When we do any of these things, In the strength of the Lord, we are rehearsing for heaven. We are declaring here and now that joy is coming. And we are investing in that rather than giving in to the despair. And sometimes joy is simply an act of defiance. It may go against everything you feel. Everything that seems real, the world may be so dark, your sorrow may be so thick that all you can do is say, Lord, help me to see your joy. There's a song I love by Andy Gullihorn that says, Sometimes all the pain and sadness is more than a heart can handle. But I'm tired of cursing the darkness. I'm going to light a candle. So choose joy. Let's pray. Lord, we await that crown of everlasting joy. We await the time when our sorrow and our sighing will flee away, will be be eradicated forever. And we pray for faith here and now to believe that that day is coming And we pray that we would taste the joy of the Lord. Help us to choose you, Jesus, and the joy you bring over substitutes. Help us to to enjoy our life of following you. And that you would be so delightful to us that other things would not compare. We'd lose our taste for, uh, for counterfeits. Help us to be a joyful people even as we go through the sorrow that is real in life here and now. We pray this in your name and for your sake. Amen.